It's a tradition in the United States Maritime Law Association that the outgoing president writes an article for the Tulane Maritime Law Journal. The immediate past president, David Farrell, wrote an opinion piece about why the 100-year-old legislation known as the Jones Act has unintentionally gutted U.S. flag international shipping. He also has an interesting take on the application of the act to U.S. offshore wind development. Let's hear what Dave has to say. So, Dave, um, welcome to Guard's podcast on Watch. Thanks, Kim. Nice yep. to be here. That's uh, <laughs> great. Now, um, I read an article uh, that you wrote. It's called, After 100 Years, Has the Jones Act Sunk the Jones Act and Vice Versa? And this was in the um, Tulane uh, Law Journal. Can you just tell me about, you know, what was it that um, brought you to write that article? Well, after 40 years of practice, I've um, been wondering um, why uh, the U.S. merchant and commercial fleet has so dramatically declined. Uh, And and also something that's really um, very much a day-to-day concern of mine in my practice, why personal injury plaintiffs' lawyers can make so many millions of dollars uh, when they uh, bring suits for uh, seafarer personal injuries and deaths. And um, as we approach the 100th anniversary of uh, the Jones Act, which was passed in 1920, I started um, realizing that these two prongs of the Jones Act, one that is um, cabotage protection and the other part which is a personal injury remedy were very instrumental in 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 the decline of our fleet and uh, the personal injury remedies that are really sometimes outrageous and uh, it it seemed to me that they were linked and um, I ended up uh, writing that article you know, you and I have a similar background in a way. I've been at Guard for uh, 22 years, but I started at Guard in the um, the People Claims Group uh, because of my background as a personal injury defense lawyer for PNI clubs. Um, and I think, uh, you know, just chatting with you, we both kind of acknowledged that when we thought of the Jones Act, we were thinking about the personal injury um, protections. Um, but there's really more to it because it's also cabotage. But for our listeners who probably are not well-versed in uh, U.S. uh, maritime legislation, can you just kind of briefly explain the the Jones Act? Sure. Uh, And it's interesting because the the two sets of practitioners in the United States sort of refer to the Jones Act exclusively. If you do cabotage or financing, you think about the cabotage section. If you deal with personal injury, you think about the Jones Act uh, personal injury part to the exclusion of the other. And I think they're related. Uh, the The cabotage protections are, are not unique to the United States. Uh, lots of countries have them. And, and, and in the United States, what it means is if you want to engage in our coastwise domestic trade, you have to use a U.S. built ship. It has to be owned by a U.S. citizen, and it has to be crewed by uh, U.S. seafarers. Uh, this really 
adds some serious expenses uh, to the operation of U.S. vessels. It's almost a monopoly for U.S. shipyards uh, because they're the only ones who can build uh, the, the fleet for, for U.S. flag vessels. And, and they've gotten very sloppy over the years. Uh, the the uh, cost of building a ship in the United States is five times greater than it would be in South East Asia, for instance, and, and and there's no market for U.S. ships overseas. My son, who's in, in the shipyard industry, points out that uh, there's a guy in, in a shipyard that he knows very well that uh, his only job is to unscrew a pin and a shackle when they go to pick something up and then screw it back in. They do the lift, he comes back, he unscrews the shackle, and then screws it back in when they're done. It's ridiculous how expensive it is. And um, certainly uh, an explanation for the decline in U.S. ships and co concomitantly uh, the number of U.S. Uh, seafarers because there's not that many ships for them to sail on. The other part of the Jones Act, uh, which is equally extraordinary, is the personal injury remedy that uh, uh, seafarers have uh, in the ability to file suit against their employers in front of a jury. And uh, it, it, it's interesting that uh, this is something that um, can be traced to a Norwegian seafarer, uh, Andrew Furseth, who uh, emigrated to the United States and sailed out of the Pacific. Uh, and then when he came ashore, he became president of the International Seamen's uh, Union. And he had the ear of, uh, of Senator Jones from Washington State, who's the namesake of, 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 this, of the act. And um, after the Titanic sinking, uh, um, Furseth was very active in, in trying to improve the life of seafarers and safety. But they ended up adopting this jury trial. Um, against the employer. And, and you don't see that in any other industries, except for railroads. And, and railroads in the United States have their own problems. It may be connected, but, but you don't see it in coal mining. You don't see it in factory workers. You don't see it for construction workers or highway uh, people and other people who are engaged in dangerous jobs. Nowhere in the whole world can people sue their employer in front of a jury. And juries, of course, are unpredictable. Uh, routine million-dollar recoveries for a slip and fall on deck with a soft tissue injury occur just last week. A $1.7 billion jury award in the state of Georgia was doled out in a car crash death. And uh, I can assure you my family would gladly trade me in for that kind of a recovery. It's ridiculous. There's no economic basis for it. The recoveries are going up very quickly, faster than the rate of inflation, faster than um, uh, medical expense. It's become known as, as social inflation because of TV, because of advertising that these plaintiff's lawyers do, because they finance the cases and they get a third or greater contingency recovery. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's becoming perhaps unsustainable. What it means is insurance rates are going up too. P&I premiums uh, have to go up in order to cover these risks on U.S. vessels. Uh, and uh, where it's going to go from here is, um, is really a good question. That too, of course, has had a disincentive for U.S. investment in shipping 
money of people who might want to go into shipping goes overseas to flags of convenience instead. And again, uh, the U.S. fleet shrinks. And, and so I think that's why I see the two related. Okay. Um, I think, you know, just commenting being um, an American living in Norway and working in PNI, sometimes um, I have to sort of remind my colleagues that in the United States, we don't have socialized medicine. So, you know, if you're injured, unless you have some form of insurance, you're just sort of out of luck. And that also, that's pretty well known throughout society. So there's no, uh, you know, assumption that if someone is injured, that there will be a way for them to be treated and be able to go back to normal life. I think, you know, it's a head scratcher for people outside of the United States to kind of understand how these verdicts can come about. And I think also the contingency fee arrangement is pretty much unique to the U.S. too, where lawyers can basically become very expert in producing very emotional appeals to a jury, which is just made up of ordinary people in the community. So, you know, I think there there are certainly some um, contrasts with how, how things are done in the rest of the world. For example, the uh, in the Philippines, those seamen, they... Um, they have rights that are based on their contracts and they um, have uh, arbitration provisions where they make their claim in a particular fora. Um, but anyway, let me let me just get back to um, this issue of foreign flag ships and flags of convenience. And I, I think, uh, you know, I did a little uh, research um, before we're talking today and I, you know, America, I think what you'd say is they have a closed registry. So, you know, American ships are that are flagged American mean that you need to um, use American crews. Where Norway, for example, in the 1980s, they established a second registry for international ships. So basically, you could be a Norwegian flag vessel with a foreign crew. When you say flags of convenience, people may think, um, you know, you're talking about Vanuatu or, um, you know, Togo or someplace that really has no, um, you know, sailing background. But when we're talking about uh, open registries and flags and convenience, it can also be Norway, Denmark and Germany, which also allow that. So it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting thing. And I think one thing that's very clear is that Norway, after they established their international registry, They've got uh, more than 700 ships, which, uh, you know, America, I think you had pointed out that there's 169 American flagships that are in international trade. So you're comparing, you know, 700 for a country of 5.5 million to 169 for a country of 330 million. So it's kind of, I think it kind of emphasizes that uh, that discrepancy. You're absolutely right. And, um, and, and when you look at, at, the volume of of international trade uh, in the United States, which is so huge, only 1.5% of it is carried on U.S. flagships. We have totally outsourced our international trade to other countries. It's got a a good reason for the um, supply chain crisis that we had. Uh, We got no control over those ships. It, it's a it's a national security risk for the United States. We cannot 
with our merchant fleet um, adequately serve our Navy if it's engaged in a long-term dispute overseas. We, we don't have the supply chain that, that's necessary to serve them. So it's, it's a huge problem that people don't recognize. Do you think that there is any um, hope on the horizon to to reverse this? Are we stuck with um, American or a closed registry in the United States? It's um, it seems challenging to 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 see that there's any changes down the road. I mean, as much as the Jones Act and the personal injury portion of it have have, have diminished U.S. shipping, it's been very beneficial for our domestic fleet. And there's some very strong private interests. Uh, we have a very robust tug and barge fleet in the Mississippi River and our in our brown waters system, as we call it. We have a, a strong fleet that serves Alaska, Hawaii, and, and Puerto Rico. I mean, there are plenty of people who argue that it's made living in those places very expensive, but uh, we have strong lobbying and um, and political donations from the private fleet to um, Congress and the executive branch. That means that I think uh, changing the Jones Act is going to be difficult. In contrast, again, looking to Norway, you do have two registries. So the um, original registry is basically doing the same function as um, domestic fleet in the United States. In other words, if you've got uh, a ship that's doing coastwise trade from one point in Norway to another point in Norway, then then you are obliged to have a Norwegian crew. But if you if you're actually in uh, international trade outside of Norway, then you can be a Norwegian company and you're free to to hire foreign crews which, as you pointed out, uh, are a lot less expensive. Simply, I think it's, uh, uh, I would imagine it has a lot to do with the wage rates. Um, And then in the U.S., you have the additional risk of uh, personal injury, which kind of is the icing on the cake, I guess. Well, the the two distinctions in the United States are that for the domestic trade, you know, it has to be U.S. built, owned, and crewed. For international ships, flagged in the United States, they don't have to be U.S. built, but they still have to have U.S. crew. And operating a U.S. ship is about three or maybe more times more expensive as the average of other countries. So it's just it, it, adding the crew, adding their wages, adding their um, their their insurance premiums to the mix uh, makes uh, operating a, a U.S. vessel expensive no matter how you, you slice it. So the, the investment dollars go elsewhere. This is, a, this is a related trend, but it's not the same trend. And that is that um, it used to be that certain, certain very large uh, companies like, say, Exxon, were using their own tonnage to move their own oil. After the Exxon Valdez, that completely reversed too, because now all of the majors are uh, using chartered ships. All of the U.S. majors are using chartered ships, so they're charterers rather than owners. So again, it's um, it's kind of a, I guess it's an effort to move yourself away from first point liability. Uh, uh, but that's that's exactly what's going on. Yeah. So um, you know, are, were there other things that surprised you when you when you kind of dug into this issue? 
you know, I did try and look at um, particular U.S. industries, and um, one that I one that I, I I see as an emerging Jones Act industry, um, and and sort of highlights uh, the, the problems, uh, is the uh, offshore wind uh, farm uh, development, and um, um, the Jones Act very much affects it. For offshore development, um, vessels engaged generally would have to be Jones Act vessels um, approved with U.S. crew. But if um, you interpret the Jones Act very carefully, uh, there's room for uh, foreign fleets to, to be engaged in that, in that industry. Um, for one thing, we don't have that many vessels in the United States that can, that can do it. Um, there's some retrofitting going on. Uh, but uh, we don't have, for instance, uh, any cable layers. Um, and Customs and uh, Border Protection is the agency uh, charged with implementing the Jones Act. And it issued a, a ruling in uh, April 2022. And it lays out that cable laying can be done by a foreign vessel since they don't consider cable to be merchandise that's being transported. I think it's a somewhat strained interpretation, but it shows that there's an effort, at least by the Biden administration, to encourage wind farm development. Uh, similarly, uh, scour protection, which is the dumping of rocks on the outer continental shelf to provide an erosion protection for the eventual insertion of, of a turbine tower, uh, can be done in the first instance by a foreign vessel. Um, we do have U.S. vessels and barges that can do it, but foreign vessels can do it too because customs doesn't consider that point to be a point until rocks are dumped there. Um, again, a somewhat strained interpretation, but there you have it. Um, I think where the rubber meets the road is going to be with uh, wind turbine installation vessels. Um, we don't have any of them. Uh, we There's one that's being built, but there is uh, limited government funding available for them because if you get government funding, you have to promise that that vessel is used only in the United States and not in foreign applications. And that really cuts down on the uh, revenue stream over the life of, of the vessel. So foreign vessels can, under the customs interpretation, uh, insert the, t the tower um, because that act of moving it from a crane and down in, into the, the continental shelf, they don't consider to be uh, the transportation of merchandise. But um, the, 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 the turbine towers need to get there. So you need to use a, a, a US vessel to get them out to the continental shelf. There's a twist with a, a new bill pending in Congress. It's an effort to require the foreign flag vessels involved in the offshore wind industry to employ exclusively their own flags crew or U.S. seafarers uh, to the exclusion of any other country's seafarers. And, and that's problematic from an international law point of view um, because that's in interfering with another uh, a country's territory, of course, any a foreign flag vessel is the territory of another country. And I, I don't think that that is going to pass um, even constitutional muster if indeed it, it, it does get signed by um, President Biden. But if, if, it's, if it goes through Senate and is presented to President Biden, he's got to decide whether to um, 
try and get wind farm uh, development off the ground or uh, hinder it somewhat by uh, using U.S. seafarers. What What is the thinking behind the provision about using, if you're using a non-U.S. flag, to only have crew of that flag? What's the thinking there? No, it's it's using that flag or U.S. seafarers, but not other countries' seafarers, meaning that any anybody who's not from that flag country is going to have to be a U.S. seafarer. It's an it's it's a it enhances employment for the U.S. Mm. seafarers. I think that's that's the point. That in that private interest is served by requiring um, the U.S. crew in 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 the second instance. But would um, you, for example, if it was a Norwegian flag vessel, say a cable layer, and they had Norwegian crew, that would be okay. I think just if it just had Norwegian crew, that's fine. Yes. But the people and then people working on board that who might whether they're they're seafarers or 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 basically um other people who don't fit seafarer definitions, all that labor pool would have to be US, not foreign. So mm-hmm. that it's a it, it's it's exclusionary to that extent. So Dave, you know, um it's a pretty pressing need to get this uh, construction going on offshore wind, given uh, uh, the energy constraints, certainly right now. But do you think that there's enough um, U.S. Uh, seafarers to fill the roles that are either there or going to be there shortly? Well, that's a really good question, Kim. Uh, currently, I, I don't think there probably are. I've noticed a lot of uh, the Merchant Marine Academies and private um, educational groups are trying to uh, um, train and set up programs for people in the wind uh, farm industry. And I suspect that there is uh, currently a, a, an inadequate group of people um, to serve as seafarers and, uh, and technicians. Uh, um, it's it's something that they're trying to address, but I, I don't think they will until there's actually a real um, need uh, and construction uh, going on. Um, but right now, I think we're shorthanded. You know, I guess we just have to um, continue to push for education and also for um, allowing some um, non-U.S. citizens to serve on board some of these uh, specialist uh, ships. Okay, I think um, I think that's probably what we have time for today. Um, so I just want to thank you so much for for joining in and providing your your insight and your opinion on these things. Oh, really, my great pleasure. Thank you, Kim.